This episode wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Ghost Lab. Synchronized cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. We'll tell you more about Ghost Lab later in the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome. This is Unfinished Business, the show that talks about the business end of web design and creative industries. This is episode 26, and today is Friday the 5th, July 2013. This show is hosted by me, ringmaster and twiddler of the wax moustache, Andy Clark, and by my co-host, she can walk the high wire with no safety net in Lycra, the one and only Anna Debenham. I'm not making that up. You can do that. I haven't worn Lycra since I had to do gym at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I'm trying not to picture that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you said to the, like I said last week, I never did PE in school. So, so you never you never had to wear lycra. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever worn lycra. No, I've never known the feel of it next to my skin. <laughs> hey, tell you what, I've been thinking about interview questions. Not because we're going to hire anybody, but you know, just general kind of interview questions. And you know how people sometimes have those little questions that throw people off. Yeah, like trying to just not the kind of so. What do you think that you could bring to this company? <laughs> kind of question. Man, I hate those. Or what? <laughs> why do you want the job? I just want the job. Um, but, you know, they throw in those little ones that kind of, the, the little curveball questions mm-hmm. that kind of just make you think out of the box. I don't know what they do. If you could train to be, this is a serious question. If you could train to be a circus performer, what would you be, Anna Debenham? Me? Yeah. Um, I would be some kind of animal tamer so that I could just play with animals all day. Do you still get animals in circuses? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> you probably have to go. What kind of animal would you want to keep or would you want to be? Maybe like an elephant or a lion. Elephants are cool. Elephants are cool. So, yeah, elephant tamer. We're person. doing a little job for uh, a tourism company in Kenya at the moment, and they're sending through pictures of their beautiful grounds. I mean, it's a conservation area, and it's just gorgeous. And they've got... Elephants just like in the garden. Yes, <laughs> you do. Can you imagine? Yeah. And they, there's a lot of black rhinos in this conservation area around there. This is one of the things they specialize in. So there's a picture of my lovely client that she sent us talking to some, you know, security guard because they obviously have to have those stop poachers and stuff. And, you know, she's just chatting away in this photo and there's a black rhino just behind them, just like there'd be a black <laughs> Labrador, just like in the background, just sort of mooching about. Hey, it's a rhino. No big deal. Nice. So, what would you I'd be? be? I would, I would, because I've been working out. Obviously, I've lost a pound this week. Just about no Cole Henley. It's not down the back of the sofa. Cheeky bugger. Um, no, I think. Do you know what I'd be? I'd want to be the strong man. I'd want to be the strong man in the circus that lifted up those big kind of comedy dumbbells that are made of foam. Yeah, exactly. I'd want to be that guy, and I'd want to be wearing one of those kind of. Um, I don't know, maybe it would be made of lycra. That kind of skinny, um, you know what I'm talking about, kind of uh, swimming costume type thing. Like mm-hmm. old-fashioned kind of swimming costume. A bit like that Victorian thing. Hair slicked back, twirly moustache, and a uh, little bit of a hairy chest poking out the top of my swimming costume, oh. obviously. Probably the swimming costume in a, I don't know, maybe even a leopard skin pattern. Oh, why are you, why are you putting this do- in my head? <laughs> that would do it and i would uh, and i would lift up my dumbbells um in a kind of comedy style i'd do that 
Have you been to an interview? When was the last time you actually had to go for an interview? Um, I went to one at Hotel Chocolate once <laughs> when I was 15. Right. They, uh, yeah, I didn't get the job, obviously. Um, but I just well, wanted. Not obviously. You could have been a perfect candidate. Well, no, you, you can't hire people under 16. Can you? Oh, pretty much. I yeah, know. there's kind of legislation around that. Um, I just, I just wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted some free chocolate. So you actually <laughs> wanted to work there because you wanted chocolate. Yeah. Why else would anyone work there? All right. So big secret was, you know, we were talking about me working in Sainsbury's last week. Yeah. Well, I worked in the warehouse and there was me and this other student, Donald Peden. Now, okay, the, the big kind of proviso here is that, you know, this is probably not legal, so nobody come after me. But well, we we stashed big bars of dairy milk chocolate all around the warehouse. We taped them to the underside of the shelves. So we were never more than like six feet away from a bar of dairy milk. What? Why would you do that? Because then we always had access to chocolate. Why Why wouldn't you just eat the chocolate? Well, because you can't carry it around. It's like a big family bar. Oh, what? Well, I kind of opened up a can of worms now. <laughs> but no, we always used to have chocolate stashed around the warehouse so that you could just kind of oh, reach behind a box. There'd be a bit of chocolate whenever <laughs> you needed it within arm's reach. Anyway, so you didn't get the job in Hotel Chocolate? No, no. They got right. I got right to the end of the interview and they're like, so... They were asking me about my qualifications, and I said, "Well, I'm about to do my GCSEs." And they're like, "Oh, how old are you?" And I said, "15." And then the lady wrote it down in big numbers, and then circled it lots of times, and then told me, "Like, we'll we'll be getting in touch. Thanks for your time." <laughs> do, do they ever come back to you? Yeah, I got a letter saying sorry. <laughs> mm, I have never, apart from Sainsbury's, I've never got a job that I've applied for. Not ever. How many have you applied for? Uh, three or four. But I've never been out of work. I've never had a day out of work. Um, but I just, I don't know, maybe just don't do well in interviews. So what I'm going to do now, right, because I'm going to interview you. Right, and I'm going to ask you some of these interview questions. The ones that I've read through before the show. Yeah, well, I've put them in the notes, obviously, <laughs> so they're not much of a surprise. But that's even better because now you, hopefully you're prepared because uh, you should always prepare for an interview, always, yeah. unlike yeah. me. Um, so you're going to have some good answers. So this Claire Left, I think, asked this one. I think Jeremy Keith told me this. Who would win in a fight, Boba Fett or Batman? Batman. I always say Batman. Why do you say Batman? Because Boba Fett, didn't he, like, get killed in Star Wars? Because of his jetpack? Yeah, I, I think they'd be kind of equally matched on the he's, technology. He's quite short as well, isn't he? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Is he? I don't know. I think he is. But I think it comes down to less about physical size and about technology and more just about anger. Yeah, I think Batman's more motivated. Batman would just get a big magnet or something and... I don't know. Mm-mm. But no, I... I think he, Batman's driven. Mm. And Boba Fett's a bit of a... Why do people get obsessed about Boba Fett? Because he's a bit of a non-character. Well, yeah, I know they made a big deal about him in like the prequels, in terms of him being... Or was it his dad, Django, was the kind of pattern for the clones that became stormtroopers or something. 
something like that. But nah, never been a big Boba Fett fan. People go nuts for him though. People make their own Boba Fett costumes. <laughs> I think Gruber. His linked... costume is quite cool. It does look a bit grubby though. Yeah, Gruber linked to. Um, I think it was only this week. Put a link in the notes to some of the original kind of costume tests for Bob- Boba Fett on video, which is good. It's interesting. Anyway, we're deviating from the point here. <laughs> deviating from the point quite a lot. If the world was going to end tomorrow, what endangered species would you want to eat? That's a, that's a difficult one because I'd feel bad even even though the world's ending about eating an endangered species. But maybe just to annoy you, I'd eat like an ape, some kind of endangered ape. I don't think they taste good. To be honest, yeah. I can't imagine gorillas taste nice. Or maybe some kind of endangered chicken. Be quite what? Nice. Like what kind of chickens are endangered? I don't know. There's our show title. <laughs> um, no. What would you but, eat? Well, the be- I, I don't know actually. Like I'm not a blue whale or something? No, they'd be all flabby and fatty and whatever. But you, so the best answer. Be able to eat quite a lot though. Best answer I've heard: panda. Oh, Giant panda. Mm, yeah, I bet they're quite tasty. I wonder who knows if anybody on the planet knows what a giant panda tastes like. Must do. I bet it tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. Because don't pandas only eat... Bamboo. Bamboo. What a great show this is. It's like me and you. <laughs> what do pandas eat? Um, I don't know. We that will actually have... get round to talking about business stuff, won't we? Yeah, at some point. Pandas. Hmm. Maybe they taste of bamboo. If all they eat is bamboo, I wonder what would happen if they fed something else. <laughs> if you could travel in time, just one way, either forward or back. Now you can't come back from this. It's like a one-way time travel trip. Would you go forward or back? That's just stupid. Of course, I'd go forward because there's like there'd be better mobile reception. There'd be better <laughs> internet. If you go back in time, it would be rubbish. You're like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't read Twitter because it doesn't exist. <laughs> but how do you know that those things are going to be there anyway? You could just land. Then again, it would be after quite after cool. an ape revolution. It would be and quite there'd be no cool Twitter to go back in time. There'd be no Twitter because apes obviously their fingers are too, their fingers and thumbs are too big for phones, right? So they can't tweet. They Maybe can't tweet I'd go back in time and. Um, like 10 years or something and invent Twitter mm. or buy lots of domain names. That yeah, that's a good one. Just that buy all one. the good domain names. But then they just sue you to get them. No, no, don't know. <laughs> don't know. See, how far would you go? How far would you go forward then? Because you could just go too far and then you'd arrive and a bit like going to real, nobody would know what you're saying. <laughs> be like completely talking a different language huh. that could be quite dangerous must happen to jeremy keith all the time <laughs> i'd go back i'd go forward just a few years just so i wasn't completely uh you know people aren't talking a different language or um i don't have to learn lots of new things i, I guess yeah Self-driving cars and things would be nice. I'm kind of a bit impatient for things like that. You don't drive, do you? I I can drive. Can you? Yeah. I never knew that. I don't have a car. Huh. 
When was the last time you drove? Uh, Just so that I can know ago. to avoid you. A <laughs> couple of years ago, I think. Huh. I never knew that. <laughs> so you've got an anniversary. Yeah, tomorrow is um, the fifth anniversary of when I set up as a sole trader. Woo! I, I'm quite sad and I keep that in my calendar. No, it's a good thing to remember because it's a real accomplishment, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's kind of, I can't believe it's been five years. Um, what are those statistics? There's some statistic about businesses. I was trying Stop. to look this up and it varies between like 20% in the first year businesses fail and 75%. I think one, one site even said 95% businesses fail in the first year. Um, so I don't know the exact figure. Still, maybe maybe one of our listeners will know. Maybe one of our listeners will know. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's an accomplishment. It's it's an achievement. It's more a kind of I'm surprised that I was able to last this long. Um, I I it was kind of you know I I said to myself I'll try this for a year, see how it goes. So it's kind of nice that that it's worked out. So you were how old then? Eighteen, nineteen, eighteen. It's a bit like Ashley Baxter then, isn't it? You both started businesses or set up businesses about the same time. Yeah, I guess. And Sarah did as well, Sarah Parmenter. She started when she was, I think, 19. Hmm. That's, no, that's good. It's something to celebrate that. You know, not just because you're still around, but you've obviously made a success out of it. And, you know, nobody's handed you that on a plate. You've gone out there and, and grafted for it. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's really good. Well done. Oh, thanks. Right. Have we got a round of applause sound in uh, our soundboard? We don't have a soundboard. Have we not got a soundboard? No. You add sound into this podcast all the time. I, I, I do some in post, but yeah. Anyway, congratulations. Thank you. So you had, I saw you tweeting about having a kind of six monthly review. What's that? Yeah, we just... Because um, it's been six months since we hired our first employee. So we started in, well, sort of, you know, first week of January. So it's been a whole six months. And I thought that it would be a good idea if we, you know, got together and talked about, you know, what's been going well, what's not been going well. I mean, not like an employee kind of review, you know, not kind of so, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we didn't write anything down particularly. We were now, I'm, I'm sure that some businesses, you know, do you ever, ever had, have you had a review place that you've worked? I don't think I've been anywhere long enough to have a yeah. review. Well, I've never done this thing formally. You know, I've never had a review in my life. Um, but you know, we talked about some of the stuff that has gone well and some of the things that haven't gone so well and talked about, you know, how the business is doing in general. And it was just a good afternoon. It was a good afternoon to kind of look at stuff and think, yeah, you know what? We could have done that better or, mm. you know, actually we're doing all right. And do you know what? We've been doing this business for 16 years and it's the very first time that we've ever actually sat and thought about that. Wow. Um, I know it's never cause you know, we've just blundered. Do you not have like, little birthday parties? No. With a little cake. No, I think we had a, we had a, a birthday party at Christmas, uh, once and we invited a load of clients, but that was years ago. Um, 
But, you know, yeah, we just sort of like blundered through life, blundered through business, like the same way we've done everything else. So it was nice. It was nice to, to sit down and talk about some stuff. And, you know, we looked at a couple of projects where I thought that maybe um, we could make some improvements to the workflow. Mm. And we've actually figured out, you know, where a few things kind of drifted away because, you know, we like to keep things tight. And a couple of projects had kind of just sprawled a little bit. Um, and, you know, even gone over outside of our, you know, weekly targets. Right. So we talked about how we could maybe avoid doing that in the future. And do you want, do you want to get into some detail about that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was quite interesting. You know, we had a couple of projects where they, they weren't big earners and, you know, they're just kind of average size projects, I suppose. And, you know, we'd specified them as basically kind of, you know, two, to two and a half to three weeks, you know, nothing particularly big. And one of the things that we ended up doing with one particular project was to, um, well, first of all, the client just kept talking about the logo redesign endlessly <laughs> and you know, lovely people to work with, but they did get fixated on that particular part of the pr- project. And one of the things that we should have done, uh, was to remind them politely kind of halfway, two thirds of the way through, look, you know, if we carry on talking about this logo design anymore, then, you know, we're not going to get the website done. Yeah. You know, we, we can keep talking about this, um, you know, for as long as you like, but, you know, you do, you should be aware that, you know, you're actually, you know, you're buying us for two weeks and, you know, that's the time that we allocated and thought that we would get this project done in. So we could have been better with that. And then the other thing was, you know, a lot of clients don't, have a really good brief you know they don't they don't present you with you know lots and lots of stuff written down it's generally a lot of times very vague yeah it's all in their head yeah and i don't want clients to be sitting down writing reams of reams of documentation because a lot of the time if they do that they're going to get stuff wrong yeah or they're not going to be kind of you know they'll be adding things in that um maybe on they don't need to be in there yeah and you know maybe they'll be trying to solve problems in their head that you know we're being paid to solve when it comes to doing the design process yeah that that's kind of what i was thinking of so i don't want people to be doing that but i do want them at the beginning of the project to uh you know to, we, we need to know what we're going at yeah so what we've decided to do even on small projects because we try to do this kind of agile thing where we break things down into a set of requirements that we're going to accomplish over a period of time. And we need to be tighter about that. And what we need to do is we've decided we're going to have the first Monday of any new project as a planning meeting. Now, you know, ideally what we do is we'd have, you know, a complete project planning meeting before the sprints even started. Yeah. But that becomes awkward because, you know, that's a whole day. I mean, it's not like you know, there's eight of us, you know, there's only, there's only the three of us. So if we did that, we'd be breaking into, you know, another week somehow. So it does become a little bit difficult to time manage. So we've just thought, okay, from now on, we are going to basically use that first day as a complete planning meeting rather than just pile into the job, which, you know, you've got to, everybody gets really excited. You want to start playing with color and type and you kind of bundle in. Whereas actually, you know, we need to just take a step back and 
not necessarily, you know, write a functional spec, but at, at least sit down with a client and talk through issues that I think are going to, you know, raise their head later. Mm. I think that's useful to do, even if you're coming in in the middle of a project. Like often as a developer, I'm I'm sort of coming in um, after the design's sort of been finished or is still ongoing. And it's useful just to get in there for a day and just meet everyone there, sort of learn all their names, um, also get set up with their development environment and kind of pull down all the files. Um, and that way I can be looking through it. And then the day that, that I sort of start properly, I'm, I'm all prepared and, um, I can ask any questions that, that I've had. Yeah. We, we just need to have a, a better start. And I think that what we need to do is to, you know, be a little bit stricter about building that into the project. Um, and we've done really well, you know, we, we keep most things to time, but in a couple of cases they drifted and I think we could have avoided that. Um, the other thing which we did, um, and I think this is mainly because we had a really lovely project that we, we basically, we did a, a paid pitch. Right. Um, and you know, somewhere that we've worked with before just landed this dream prospect, um, on us. And we had two weeks, basically, you know, two, two weeks to come up with something that he then was going to take to the, to the client. Um, so it's a lovely thing to do. You know, I really, really, really hope that we end up working on the full project, but that kind of, we dropped that into, you know, like a great big, we had everything planned out in the diary and then we just dropped this brick in the middle of it, which is like rippled everywhere. Um, and you know, made a big splash in the schedule. So one of the things that we had to do is we had to work with a couple of freelancers to, you know, get a few other things done. Mm. Um, and obviously that eats into your costs. And we realized that actually what we need to do in the future is we need to be um, a lot more forward thinking in terms of when we need other, when we need outside help. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff, I mean, not JavaScript because I'm hopeless, but a lot of the stuff, you know, we we can do ourselves if, you know, if we've got the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we do that, then we're not, you know, we're not spending. So we need, we need to be a lot better at scheduling for freelancers. That was another thing that came up in the review. Because mm. we've got a lovely kind of family of people that we work with. We just have to be, you know, a little bit more organized, you know, giving them a lot of advance notice as well. Because the last thing you want is to think, ah, damn, I'm going to need some JavaScript next week. And, you know, you, pick up the phone or drop an email to your favorite JavaScript guy. And he goes, I'm sorry, man, I'm just working. Yeah. I'm, I'm busy. Cause then what are you going to do? So yeah, so that was good. We, we spent a lot of time talking about improvements and some of that was to do with some kind of preliminary documentation. Um, we, we're going to send out with every contract now a little package of two or three documents that tell the client how we're going to approach the project. And, and I've generally given them some stuff like that or talked to them about some stuff like that before. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be like, this is how it's going to work. Um, and that is going to go into quite a lot of detail about saying, you know, yeah, we're going to be talking, we're going to break down the work into, you know, these weeks and each week is going to be broken down again so that, you know, we might be looking at this page on this day and another page on another day. Um, and you're going to be expected to have provided us with all that stuff by the time that we get there. Yeah. 
um, and it gives them a bit of chance as well. And, and you know, and if you need copywriting, well, here's here, here's two or three people that that we love to work with when it comes to producing good copy. So oh, that's nice to be able to kind of recommend, uh, like just as as a in a documentation. Yeah. And photographers as well, or illustrators, or something like that. You know, particularly if it's kind of you know a way in advance. If they've got two or three months before we're going to be starting the job, and we know that we're going to be looking at illustrators, well, you know, here's a little here's a little selection of people. Mm. So that was good. So we're gonna we're gonna work on the paperwork, um, and you know, I think it just helps with the whole. You know, this is what I was talking about last week about selling a story. Yeah. Yeah, selling an experience. I want people to be totally comfortable about working with us and, you know, reassured that they've made the right decision when they hire us. And this all just goes to, you know, smoothing things along. Yeah. So that was that. And then we talked about financials as well. Mm-hmm. We've done pretty well so far. We've not had a day where we've not been working. Um, no. <laughs> we've not had a project where we've made a loss. Uh, but we have had two or three little kind of small scale projects that have uh, overrun. Right. You know, not, not by long, I mean, not by three months, but, you know, a few days. Um, and we have had to spend a little bit more on freelancers in, in a couple of places. Mm. So, you know, it knocks our profit down. But overall, you know, we're not on the streets, living in cardboard boxes, which is great. Um, one thing we did realize, and I don't know how people do this because I've never run a business where I've had to account for lots of people's time, right? I've never mm. even, I've never even allowed, a, a sort of accounted for my own time when it comes to projects. So I don't know how it works inside a company where, you know, you need to estimate for a job and then give a quote that is, you know, well, it's so many days for de- designers and so many days for developers, or maybe you've got two developers working on it and a copywriter or something like that. Mm. You know, how companies like Clear Left, for example, how they estimate for a job is beyond me. No idea. Never, never, I've not even talked to them about it because we've never been big enough to do that kind of thing. Um, and in the past, it's only ever been me. So I just used to have like a, you know, a weekly rate. Mm. Um, but now there's two of us. We did start doing that whole kind of studio rate thing that we talked about. Um, but we need to, we need to think about that in a different way. And it's bitten me a couple of times because Sue works three days a week. So my projects are five days and her projects are three days. And she can't obviously get done in three days. What, you know, what I would do in five. Right. So therefore you can't charge the same level. So then you start getting into the whole kind of, well, how much is one person worth versus another person worth? So mm-hmm. we're actually doing some revisions to the rates at the moment. Um, I think our top end, um, everything is included rate will probably go up. Um, but our standard rate for things will probably stay about the same. Yeah. So, um, but I, I will be a little more. A little more um, aware that she's not here for th- for five days a week. I mean, I'd like her to be if that was possible, um, but you know, I just have to make sure that I don't promise a client that hang on, there's there's a full week's work here. Yeah, yeah, she's only work, and we're charging for that, and yet she's only here for three days. So that that was quite that was that's like a little kind of course correction that we've that we've made. And then the other thing we've decided, kind of policy wise, is. 
we're going to start charging all travel and overnight expenses on all projects. Right. And I've done it, you know, when I've been flying off to Geneva, we get paid our, you know, our, our rate plus expenses. So they cover the cost of, you know, hotels and flights. Um, but things like car parking, man, you stick your car in a car park, it's like 60 quid for a week. Mm. It's crazy. So, and I, I went down to London. I've been working on this brilliant, lovely client project, um, on and off for, for the last few weeks. And, you know, I go and spend a night down in London. And I'm not charging the client the train fare, and I'm not charging them the hotel, and that's just stupid. I think it, I think it does make sense to charge a client for things like expenses for travel because, um, like maybe just from my point of view, you know, I, I have to travel a lot. I travel practically every day, and if I don't charge that, then I think. I end up having to do a lot more traveling than if I did charge it um, because the client can say, well, it's this much to have you on site and this much to have you off site. Um, and they can save money by having me off site. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to be doing lots and lots of traveling. So it, it kind of helps to, to, uh, to charge that as an extra so that they can save money if they want to. Are you buying a season ticket for this ride up into London? Uh, no, because it's three days a week, um, right. and it just doesn't work out. I, I could get a weekly season ticket, um, but also because it's a, it's not a. Um, if it were like a yearly contract, then I definitely would, uh, but because it's kind of different days and um, it doesn't make sense yet. Yeah. Plus, I have to go to the ticket office and. <laughs> Show them my, like, give them a passport photo and stuff. How much is the fare from Brighton to London? It's around 50 pounds. 50 a time? Pounds. A day? Yeah. Christ on a bike. That's a lot. But I pay, I think, oh, I've got my ticket. Don't tell me you've got a young person's rail I card. I have, yeah. <laughs> oh, so I get God. a bit of a discount. I'm nearer to the, like, OAP. <laughs> Senior <laughs> citizens rail card. You're not far off that one, Andrew. <laughs> um so but yeah, you charge you charge that onto the client. Oh, it depends on the project. Okay. Um but yeah, often fifty quid I'll, a day is a lot though. Um like the client I'm currently working with, I include that in my rate. So it's a higher rate than I would normally charge, but that way I don't have to send them expenses and send them receipts and um that sort of thing. Uh, I'm going to be starting a project where I will be, uh, giving them receipts and that, so that's my kind of regular rate. It's just, it's just easier that way. I don't have to, um, scan in all my receipts every week. I can kind yeah. of do it every month or so. Well, here's the thing, right? Are you VAT registered? Yeah. Right. So, you know, did I mention that we had a VAT inspection back in January? Uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned it on the show. I don't think we did mention it on the show. First time in like 15 years and we had a VAT inspection. Sorry for anybody that's outside the UK, but you know, <laughs> for us inside the UK. Value added tax. Value added tax. And they came around and, you know, we're squeaky clean because, you know, we put everything through the company and, you know, Sue is just fastidious about the paperwork. So, you know, we knew that there wasn't going to be any problem whatsoever. Um, but even so, it's very stressful. 
Yeah, you get two people, two lovely people, lovely smiling, if you're listening, smiling people from the VAT <laughs> office that come. And the lady liked country music, so that was good. And they're going through the things, and they did pick up on something. They they picked up on something that um, was a mistake that cost us a little bit of money. And, but they were very nice about it. And basically, it all comes down to what they call disbursements. Now, I've never heard this word before, right? But it's a disbursement is an expense that you charge onto a client. Right. So you charging on a rail fare is a disbursement. Now, if you're VAT registered, this is how it works. You would think, right, that, you know, cause some things are vatable and some things are non-vatable, right? Mm. You would think that if you buy a vatable item, um, like a computer, and then you sell it onto the client, and there's VAT included. That obviously you pay the VAT. You can claim you, you charge VAT on what you send, you sell it to the client for, and you know the VAT kind of passes through you as the business. Mm. So if you pay VAT on an item, you charge VAT to the client. Yeah. You would think that if there's no VAT on an item, so for example, a train fare, there is no VAT. You would think that when you charge it to the client, you don't charge VAT because you haven't paid VAT. Mm. Uh-uh, it's not how it works. If you're a limited company, every single thing that, if you're VAT registered, every single thing that you charge has to be VATable. Right. So, so for example, if you buy a rail ticket and you're not paying VAT and you then charge that onto your client, Let's say you pay 50 quid for the rail ticket and then you charge it onto your client. You've got to charge 50 pound plus VAT, even though you haven't paid VAT. Huh. And I know this, this caught us out, right? Cause we've been charging expenses to a couple of clients last year and they went back through all of our expense invoices and they said, listen, here are all the items. Here are all the train fares that, that you, um, you know, that you, you charge the client in Glasgow. Um, but you didn't charge VAT on them and you should do so. Please, we want, we want the, um, we want the money. Oh. So we had a, basically we had to write them a check for 400 quid. So is that because they were in your invoice or because you were sort of sending receipts to them? No, we, we just, we didn't, we never sent a receipt to the client. We would just, you know, charge them on the, on the bill. We'd say, you know, one week's worth of design project, mm. you know, expenses. You know, 150 pound, for example, right. something like that. And they never used to question. Sometimes they might want to see what it would be, but you know, generally speaking, it would just be on the invoice. We never actually used to send them receipts. Um, cause we had like a budget for, for expenses, but our mistake was, is that we didn't charge VAT to the client on these disbursements and we should have done. Right. So we ended up having to pay extra. Hmm. Um, and, and the thing is, is that the VAT man can say, Listen, we really think that you knew about this. Um, and you know, you were just trying to pull the wool over our eyes. So therefore we're going to fine you as well as wanting the money off you. Yeah. They can do that. They can give you a fine, which they didn't do. Or they can say, you've owed us that VAT for 12 months. We want interest on it. <laughs> oh. And they can charge interest and you have to pay the interest and you have to pay the, the money. Um, and possibly you have to pay a fine. So fortunately, you know, they went out of the, out of the door happy that they'd, you know, they'd found a few disbursements that we hadn't paid for. And, you know, we were 400 quid worse off, but, you know, that was okay. No skin off my nose. That's worth so knowing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's definitely, definitely worth knowing. Um, 
So yeah, and the other thing we had a we had an accounts review today, right? Um, our accountant came round. Um, hi, Clive. He's a lovely fella. Um, and we went through lots of stuff. Uh, not only for a couple of hours, but it was well worth him coming over. Um, because he was looking at, um, particularly what corporation tax we're going to have to pay in right. September. Um, and what we can do about some of that. He looked at what we're spending, um, and about, you know, just general kind of business health, really. And it was really, really good. Um, I tell you, one thing I hadn't realised is that we're we're paying a lot in insurance. Yeah, I think I'm paying a lot of insurance too. It's because you know when you ring them up and they tell you about all these things that you might need, and you ask them, "Do I really need that?" and they say, "We're not allowed to give you advice." Yeah, I know exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's like, now, oh, what if I need it? <laughs> now you know we pay lots of different insurances. You know, we pay, for example, professional indemnity insurance. Mm-hmm. We pay uh, business liability insurance, that kind of stuff. You know, in case somebody falls down the stairs, or you know, for some reason, you know, we don't do what we say we're going to do. Um, so we've never had to. We we paid that for years, years and years and years and years, and we've never had to claim anything on it. And then we've got our business insurance for kind of contents, right? You know, stuff. Um, and you know, I kind of think that we should pay that because you know, when you have your iPhone stolen, they should pay out, which they didn't. Mm. Um, because you know, anyway. But the other thing that we pay is we pay this um, insurance on me, which is if I can't work for some reason, um, yeah. then the business. Um, can claim on the insurance for effectively what covers my salary. Um, so if I'd have chased after that mugger and caught him and he'd have, you know, broken my arm or, you know, <laughs> hurt me in some off. way, <laughs> hurt me in some way, damaged my trackpad finger. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, just change the subject completely. But did you see that Rachel had broken her toe? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know you're listening, Rachel, so what on earth were you doing? <laughs> Wasn't she taking the bins out? Yes, and she kicked the wheelie bin oh, and no. broke her toe. Rachel, you're not allowed to take the bins out anymore. She, she is not allowed to go out anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if I'd have caught the guy and, you know, broken something and couldn't work, that's what this insurance is for. I think it also... Uh, covers in case I get ill and, you know, for some reason. But right. do you know what? It's nearly four grand a year. Which wow. <laughs> I know, exactly. And yeah, we've been paying this for a long time. Um, Cause I've, you know, I've got that insurance as well. I'm pretty sure I have. Probably need to check the paperwork, but, um, I'm paying like overall for insurance every year. It's about 400 pounds. Yeah. Well, maybe it's I, a bit I, more than that now. I think that, maybe that's our total bill. I don't know. Maybe that's our total bill. But do you know what? It just makes me think, hang on, you know, insurance is a mugs game, isn't it? Really? I mean, you only need it if you need it. But it's a bit, I always think insurance is a bit like kind of a gangster protection racket. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, I really begrudge it. So I've told uh, Clive, the accountant, that I want to figure out whether or not we actually need that because. You know, I don't want to pour money down the toilet. That's well, you can sometimes, stupid. you know, you can get the same insurance, but use something like an insurance broker that will oh, no, find I'm the sure best that, price. Yeah, no, I'm sure that they've done their homework and they've found a good price. I'm sure we're not just paying, you know, 
We're not, it's not like the waitros of, of insurance companies. I'm sure that, you know, that it'll be a good deal. But, you know, do we need that really? You know, I don't know. Um, the other thing we did, the other thing that we discovered, um, and we actually that wasn't this week, but we discovered this a couple of years ago is that we were really, really, really badly advised by our previous accountants for like 10 years. Mm. And every year, right? Every sort of, I don't know, August, September, when the books were done, something like that, we would be paying a lot in corporation tax. Right. And, yeah, we're only a little company. There's only like two, now three of us. We were paying a lot. Um, and every year I would say to our old accountants, can we not just do something about that? You know, should I not be buying equipment or, you know, is there not some way that I can, I, I can you know, maybe minimize that? And they would go, no, no, you just got to pay it. And I'm like, oh. And every year I would say to them, you know, at some point when we'd have a meeting and I'd say, well, should we not just get together and, and like have a review? Yeah, you know? I mean, that's what accountants normally do. Well, they, these guys didn't. And we were with them for 10 years. They were like this long established company. So we were paying a damn fortune. Um, and we paid a lot of unnecessary tax over the last, you know, 10 years, uh, that we can't get back. And then our new accountant and our new financial advisor said, put it in a pension. Because basically you can just offset anything that you put into your pension against your corporation tax. Right. So instead of, instead of paying 15,000 pounds in corporation tax, Put it into your pension. And we're like, you can do that. And he went, yeah. So we're like, oh. And then Clive today said to us, you know, there's other ways that we might kind of, um, you know, mitigate it in a way. You know, yeah, we should be looking at your equipment on a, on a regular basis because everything that you buy up to a quarter of a million pounds worth of equipment is 100% tax deductible. Mm, it's a business asset. Exactly. So I could be buying a new Mac every year and it's no skin off my nose because if I spend it, well, I'm not spending that. I'm not giving that money to the tax man. <laughs> that's, that's a dangerous way to look at it. <laughs> well, I know, but you know, that's why, why would you give 1500 quid to the tax man and not buy instead buy you know, a nice shiny new Mac. So I love the new accountant. He's just so good. Yay. <laughs> um, so I've got happy face. Um, and you know, the important thing I think is with both of these things is that it's just so important to get good advice and, and have regular reviews of stuff, you know, don't get bogged down in the day to day work all the time, you know, look at your business as well. I'd suggest if you're a freelancer, like one man band to just sit down with someone else, like someone else who does what you do, um, and just sort of talk like just someone another freelancer talk about your business and um suggest ways that you could both improve a kind of you have a little feedback loop going and because yeah. uh, it's it's difficult if you work on your own it's difficult to just sit to one side and and look at how you're doing and think about how you could be doing better um but if you go if you sort of meet up with someone else who's in the same position as you um then hopefully you can both encourage each other to kind of to have better business practices yeah and you know i've, I've been sort of thinking because uh, you know there's not many people around here that we talk to but you know we, we you know we talk about this stuff on the show but actually i think it would help you know maybe to have some kind of you know meetups or something which focus on that i don't yeah. know i don't know we should talk about 
our first sponsor. It's Ghost Lab. Synchronized cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. And they wrote that bit, right? But it's true. So here's the problem. You're designing or developing a site and you need to test that site across multiple browsers and especially many different devices like smartphones and tablets. Now, you could, if you wanted to, set up a local development server and or you could FTP files to an external server. But who wants to do that? No one. Then you've got to keep every device in sync while you test. You move around a site, use navigation, fill out forms. You need like three pairs of hands. But that's where Ghost Lab comes in. Because Ghost Lab synchronizes everything across different browsers and devices. So if you do something in one browser or on one device, it's going to happen across all of them instantly. So you click a link in a desktop browser, it gets pressed on a smartphone. Like magic. It's amazing. Freaks clients out. Brilliant. (laughs) You type into a form input on a tablet, and then it gets filled in across every browser or device that's connected to Ghost Lab. So it's really simple. Here's how it works. You install the Ghost Lab app on your Mac and then drag any HTML site into the Ghost Lab window. And that's it. Ghost Lab does everything else for you. From there, you just open up your site in any installed browser or you point any device on the same network to that Ghost Lab IP address. And the great part is with Ghost Lab, it's not an app. It's not an app that you have to install on your phone or your tablet. It's just in the browser. It's like any browser. So I could use it on my game consoles. Exactly. Yay. Exactly. And, you know, things like, you know, Windows Phone, for example, where, you know, there may not be a testing app that, that's written for that particular platform. So, no, it's just, just a browser, any browser. And then Ghost Lab keeps a watch on your project and it pushes any changes that you make to any connected browser or device. I use this all the time. And that makes designing using code Really, really, really simple. I just use Ghost Lab all the time. Can't go back. Ghost Lab's not a subscription service. Ah, do you know, I'm getting a real bee in my bonnet about this. I want to, you know, I want to <laughs> pay a one off for my software. I don't want to have to pay monthly on the kind of subscription. So with Ghost Lab, Ghost Lab, you just buy it. It costs £33 per user of your English pounds and you can install it on two computers. Let's say a desktop and a laptop because that's what I've done. And there are volume discounts available for Teams too. So go to Vanamco, that's V-A-N-A-M-C-O, vanamco.com slash ghostlab and get ghostlab. And, and an and, use the offer code unfinishedbusiness and you'll get 30% at the checkout off. 30% off. Can I use it? You can use it. Yay. Absolutely. There's a project I'm going to be working on that, that this will be very useful. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you see Laura tweeting about it? I caught something, but I didn't pay much attention because I was busy. She um, She's giving it a go and sounds like she's very happy with it. Yeah, I love it. It's just one of those little applications that just scratches an itch. So... One of the things that you were talking about earlier about having your kind of little business review, um, there's actually uh, like a term for that um, that I learned in doing a business GCSE. It's called a SWOT analysis. Have you heard of this? No. Um, so you basically, you you draw a square and you cut that square into four and uh, in the top left square, you 
you put strengths in the top right, you put weaknesses. Uh, bottom left, you put opportunities and bottom right, you put threats. Um, so I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia page on this. Uh, so strengths are characteristics of the business or project that give it an advantage over others. Weaknesses are character characteristics that place a team at a disadvantage relative to others. Opportunities are elements that the project could exploit to its advantage. And threats are elements in the env- environment that could cause trouble for the business or project. So it's basically like looking at your business and seeing kind of what's working, what's not working, uh, what could be kind of a threat to your competitive advantage or um but yes it's a bit silly (laughs) sounds good though it's it's kind of a bit too businessy for me but you're gonna put a link yeah i'll put a link i'll I'll send you a link now actually Mm. so you can have a look at this this gorgeous diagram so i've got a question Mm -hmm. you're you know you're working on this project and most of it is on site yeah yeah, all of it's on site. All of it's on site. Now, how much work do you think you get done? Or how much more work do you think you get done either in the office versus being at home? Or do you think you get more work done when you're at home or and, and less when you're at home? How, how do you feel about that? I don't think about it in terms of how much like code I write. Um, I think... I get a lot of value working working on site because it means that I don't have to do things. I often don't have to do things more than once. Um, often, if I'm working at home in in isolation, um, even if you've got things like little chat windows and and you can call someone on Skype, it's not the same. Um, it working on site means that I can just I can communicate really easily. I can just turn around and talk to someone, ask them a question. Um, so although I might not be able to code as quickly, I'm coding the right thing, if that makes sense. Hmm. Do you not find being in an office distracting? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I was reading this article, um, a guy called Alex Morris was writing in uh, Just Creative online. <laughs> he wrote this article, Should You Be Working From Home in 2013 or 2014? And, you know, he's talking about, generally you know lots of different points you know the benefits of kind of you know working at home versus you know working in an office but the thing that i'm not don't want to get into a kind of general discussion about whether it's better to work from home but i know from past experience that when i've gone to work in an office you know in a often in a client environment um it's way 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 less productive for me than when i'm at home right yeah I mean, what do you mean by productive? Well, just in terms of the amount of stuff that I get done, whether it's thinking or doing or whatever, you know, there's a certain amount of stuff that you want to get done in a day. But I guess and- not not all work is is that output. Some of it is just communicating, having meetings. You know, it's not it's not terribly glamorous, but it's still it's still work. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just had a bad example, a bad um, experience, you know, when I was working in, in these places. But I just find it incredibly distracting in terms of, you know, I'm I'm not big on meetings anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, 
particularly in a couple of places, you know, yeah, they just seem to have endless meetings. You know, there'd be people traipsing off into meeting rooms like all day. Yeah. Yeah. And people would come out of meetings and they'd sit down next to you and you'd say, can we work on that? You know, can we work on that thing now? And they go, yeah, I've got half an hour and I need to be in a meeting about the footer. <laughs> and it's like. <sighs> I think that's more a problem with the culture than with the fact that you're working there. Um, I think there would still be those meetings and there'd just be, you know, on Skype, there'd, there'd be emails. I think it is. Uh, some people just have to go to a lot of meetings. Well, yeah, maybe they do. But yeah, then other people have to do a lot of work. And yeah. I just think that that, you know, gets in the way. Yeah. I think that that's more the culture of, of the company and what their attitude is towards meetings and how much they actually, how much useful stuff actually comes out of that meeting. Uh, cause if it's, you know, if you're in meetings all day and they're good meetings, they're good productive meetings and that's, that's a good thing. But if they're all ones that you, don't need to be in that no, there's no kind of outcome at the end of the meeting then that's not not good no i'm just not a big meeting kind of guy but i worked in a couple of big offices big open plan offices and there's another article a couple of articles actually that we'll put in the show notes um there's one on bloomberg and then there's another one on the wall street journal is your office making you unproductive put a link in the notes to that um, but I was working at these places and, you know, I'm not going to say that these, these were not lovely people because they were, you know, they were lovely people to work with, but I found the whole working in an office thing incredibly disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's because, you know, I've worked on my own for so long and I've worked as a, you know, as a freelancer, as a, you know, small business. So, you know, when I finish something, that's the point that I can get paid for it. It's not, you know, there's a real urgency to me finishing a job. Mm. You know, I have to finish it because, you know, I have to get paid. Um, and, you know, when I was in this, in these offices last year and I was watching how people work, I, I've got, you know, I just think, I'm not sort of blowing my own trumpet, but I know that I would get two or three times as much stuff done than they did. And we're not talking about meetings. We're not talking about, um, you know, people going off into meetings or, you know, doing something else. It was somebody sat there designing or writing code. And I, I would get two or three times more work done than they did because, you know, the office environment was distracting. You know, other people's phones would be going. People would, you know, tap you on the shoulder and go, are you coming to lunch in 10 minutes? <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And I'm not saying that people were lazy, but, they would make the work fit the time. And I think this is the big difference between, you know, people that may be on a salary often, or maybe I'm just generalizing, but this is how it worked, it seemed to me. It's like there was no urgency. Mm. It's like, yeah, we've got that to do. We'll probably get that done today. Whereas with me, I'm thinking, man, we've got an hour. You need to get that done. Um, so I do think that, I mean, you know, in, in, in one particular case, there was, there was a lot of that went on, you know, it's just I've never seen such a kind of a wasn't it wasn't lazy, but it was like a sort of a laid back attitude to doing work. It's like yeah, you know, I'll get that done today. What do you think would improve that? Uh, I don't know. I think it's probably a cultural thing, and I I did notice that the people that got more done were the contractors that were coming in. Well, you kind of have to. You got to. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I just feel like I want to be doing kind of more work than the people there to justify the fact that I'm kind of being paid to do that. 
Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. The other, the other thing that I noticed, I'm stand, I'm stood. I can't tell you who the client is, obviously, but I'm stood in the middle of this government department, and I'm standing there and I'm looking around at all the other people that are working, and there's like you know, hundred to two hundred people in this room. And I could glance around and I could look at their laptops and I bet that they were looking at one of three things. They were all just looking at three things. They either had a spreadsheet open, because they were dead boring, (laughs) spreadsheet, Outlook, because there were those horrible kind of Lenovo laptops, um, and Facebook. That was it. So only three (laughs) things, right? I guess you'd say that. Three things that people looked at. Spreadsheet, Outlook, and Facebook. That's it. That was like all you could see. All of the eye could see. And it's like, God, this is boring. But then, and people, I, I sat next to designers who would have, um, you know, the Twitter thing running down the side of the screen. Mm. Yeah, it'd be constant kind of distractions. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I don't think I could work in an office. I like the interaction. You know, I, I, I like the, the thing where, you know, you can bounce ideas off people and you feel a little bit more sociable. Yeah. But in terms of actually getting stuff done, Oh man, I get, I would, I would, you know, I'd go to the office. I'd spend a day or two days in the office and know that I was going to come home and spend three days at home getting it all done. Yeah. And mm. the office was just like gathering and, you know, doing the schmoozing and having the meetings and not being terribly productive. And then I'd come home and I'd actually do the work. I think it's, um, you put in a link to an article that was about kind of office spaces and there was one about, I think it was a Twitter office that was a good example of one because it had lots of different types of, um, places to work. So there'd be, you know, there'd be the, the kind of open plan office, but there'd also be little cubby holes and, or maybe it was Google. Um, I can't remember, but yeah, just all these different types of places that you can work. Some are quiet, some are noisy, some are like, some encourage collaboration, others don't. Um, because you do need that variety, you know, sometimes, sometimes I just need to sit in my little cave and just write code, but other times I need to be sitting, you know, with designers and collaborating. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to want that kind of variation. No, no, but not a lot at all. of places you just don't have that opportunity because there, there aren't places like there aren't kind of, um, quiet places to work. I've not been to the Twitter offices either here or in London yet. I'd like to go. I'd like to have a little bit of a look around. Know some people there. Um, been to Google. I went to Google in, um, in California once. I had a bit of a tour. Um, when my friend Doug was still working there and we had a bit of a walk around. That was nice. But, yeah, uh, maybe I just need to go to some better offices. Maybe I've not had a great experience. I think, yeah, open plan offices get a bad rap, but. I don't think they're a bad thing as long as you have places that you can kind of hide away in and, and just get, you know, get that kind of productive bit of work hmm. done. What about headphones? Do they work? Um, have you heard of the kind of headphone policy? No. It's like a little code, um, in a lot of offices where, um, so, Let's say you, you're wearing headphones. If you've got sort of both ears in, you know, if you've got those little earbud ones, if they're both ears in, it's like, don't distract me unless you really need something. Uh, if you've got one headphone in, it's, yeah, I'm just listening to music. Feel free to distract me. Um, and no headphones is, yeah, you can, you can come at me anytime. Uh, I kind of like that. Um, 
I've got um I very rarely wear headphones. It's only if someone's like on the phone next to me um and I'm trying to get some work done. Um but I th- I find it's useful to have it, like a white noise track uh where it's just it's just like you know that noise when you're sitting in an aeroplane and it's this kind of humming kind of static noise. You mean um, Mumford and Sons? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're the Waitrose Wurzels. <laughs> but yeah, it's this, it's this just static noise that, um, it's quite good at cancelling other noises out, um, because I'm not well off enough to afford, like, good noise cancelling headphones. Probably should get some. Especially for the train. Oh, people are so noisy on the train. Yeah, and I, and I love that bit where they go, hello! Hello, are you <laughs> hello? there? Hello. <laughs> oh, I just went under a tunnel. Yeah, and I refuse. I, w- I won't answer a, f- a phone call on the train. Yeah. It's just bad manners. I think Brad Frost tweeted a link to. There's this video of this guy. Who, this a way that you can get people to to hang up easily is by, um, you know, pretending to be on the phone and kind of answering what they're saying. So if they ask a question, you answer it, but as though you're on the phone to someone else, and they just get completely thrown and. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had the guts to do that, but so many times I've wanted to. We should wrap it up. Oh, we should wrap it up. I'm hungry. <laughs> so you can email me at shehas at unfinished.bz and Andy, he's he has at unfinished.bz or you can email us both at they have at unfinished.bz. All the links we mentioned in this episode are in our show notes and you can find them at unfinished.bz forward slash 26. To ask us questions and suggest topics, message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz. And thanks again to our sponsor this week, GhostLab. Synchronised cross-browser and mobile testing taken to the next level. Go to vananco.com forward slash GhostLab and get GhostLab and use the offer code UNFINISHEDBUSINESS to get 30% off at checkout so that they know that you heard about them on this show. See you next week. See you next week.